Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot, the tennis podcast by fans. I'm Joel. I'm Kim. And today we are looking back on the Battle of the Brits team event, dissecting Barty and Kyrgios withdrawal from the US Open and all the events in Palermo as the WTA Tour reopens its doors. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. everybody welcome back to another episode of the passing shot kim we are finally here we are back with live tour tennis on the agenda as the wta opens up its doors again and we've also had a feast of domestic tennis as well in roehampton which is actually going on still at the moment it's been a you know it's been a great event andy murray's been there he's played a bit of tennis uh he's brought his foghorn along with him as well as as like the ultimate kind of british tennis cheerleader it's it's been really good fun hasn't it it has been a great event joel but i have to admit although i'm a massive tennis fan my attention has somewhat been on golf this weekend because rafa nadal has been competing in the balearic golf championship and he was leading overnight, but he's finished fourth after committing some bogeys. Um, and I'm not really into golf, Joel, but he's the one person I think that could get me get me into golf, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> I feel like the hardcore, hardcore tennis is, is the most bottom of his agenda at the moment. Clay courts, golf, feel like there's everything he wants to do except be on a hard court and be training for the US Open. Well, you know, I don't blame him, really. I don't blame him. But it's a bit annoying, isn't it? Because I feel like he's one of those people that's like good at everything. You know, he can play (laughs) tennis to a high level. He can play golf to a high level. I don't know. He's probably good at fishing and sailing and all this stuff. So (laughs) he puts us to shame. (laughs) But um, but yeah, like at the moment, uh, Battle of the Brits, back to tennis. It is the final uh, rubber, final match. It's gone down to the wire, which is... Probably the best thing that could have happened, I suppose, in terms of the drama and the suspense. Uh, it's Jamie Murray, Heather Watson and Joe Salisbury and Harriet Dart playing for the, the final uh, points to take either the British Bulldogs or the Union Jacks into uh, into the into the win. It's been a really fun event. I don't, you know, I think like a lot of people probably going into it, not sure what we were going to be expecting, let alone, you know, it going down to the absolute wire. But it's really kind of you know, prospered as the week has gone on. And I think it's been, you know, it's a really innovative format. We've never really seen this done at a domestic level. And it's just been fantastic because, you know, I think for me as a a British fan, we're seeing combinations, particularly in in the doubles and the mixed doubles that, you know, we would not get to, we've not really seen before. And it's just been really, it's just been really great, I guess, to see that sort of variety. And again, also see the kind of mix of kind of top players that we see, you know, at the, you know, the tour level, mixing with the players who are almost kind of the up and comers. And, you know, we've already had, you know, the the, the men's singles version 
and the women's singles version. But for me, I think, you know, it was that women's singles version. It didn't have, you know, people like Conta. It didn't have uh, Raducanu and, you know, didn't have Heather Watson either. So it was really kind of great that, you know, almost with this event, they've actually been able, I think, to kind of showcase the best, the best of the female Brits. I think so. And I think it's just been a lot more kind of fun and engaging having everyone there and having kind of the mixed doubles. And I think there'll be a lot of partnerships maybe formed that, they, you know, they might rekindle them, you know, perhaps a, a grand slam, you know, when mixed doubles are kind of back back in the, on the agenda. And I think it's been great for, you know, the younger players or the, the lower ranked players to to learn from the more experienced players, you know, in the British team and and to be around them and to kind of share, you know, share with them this event and I mean we've seen you know some obviously Andy Murray everyone you know was wondering how he was going to perform it you know in the end he's only played doubles um um, but we've we've seen the likes of Jodie Burridge continuing her good form you know she beat Conta Mm. in in the first in the first day uh, of play which was a bit of a shock I suppose and yeah we've just had some great matches it started the tournament with an absolute bang didn't it I know that was Conta's like first match Mm. you know since uh you know lockdown um so you know take it with a pinch of salt but it was a real kind of you know shot in the arm for for Jodie Burridge I think almost I think you know in the in the press conference afterwards she almost kind of surprised herself in terms of you know the quality that she she was playing and the fact that she was able to get the job done in a relatively comfortable kind of straight sets victory but um yeah it's it's been great and I think the addition of having the the fan stands at, at each end it's just it's just added that sort of banter element that I think has really kind of elevated this this competition and you know it's you know if we're not able to have fans the next best thing is almost having you know your team kind of cheer and heckle the other team um, you know at the same time exactly it's been really fun to see and I think you know this obviously shows as well like the success of mixed events and you know how enjoyable they are and it just adds more value I guess to the argument for having them back, you know, in the tennis calendar, you know, we lost the Hopman Cup, but hopefully like long term, we can get, you know, more mixed events back on the agenda. And I mean, I don't know how long, you know, the current situation is going to be going on for, but even if things do return to normal, I think this event, you know, for, for Brits alone is a fantastic opportunity and a great event. It's something that I'd like to see them ideally do kind of every year if they can find, you know, a time and a place for it. Um, okay, we may not have everyone, you know, being able to take part, but to some some sort of event similar to this would be would be great, um, and and one that's also as accessible to watch as it has been, you know, in in the past week with it kind of being on on YouTube and everything as well. So, um, and we have to mention Joel, don't we? The uh, Ferrari over Dan Evans's moustache when it was kind of unveiled <laughs> at the start of the week. Um, although, Joel, I've just, you know, as we've been having a bit of a video chat, I've noticed you're growing your own. Is that is that as a homage <laughs> to Dan Evans as well? Perhaps? You know, I took inspiration from, from Dan <laughs> Evans. No, um, yeah, I know, because everyone was thinking that was like Dan Evans's own accord that he grew that moustache. But it actually turned out, I think, that he lost a bet on the golf course uh, with Andy Murray. And that's why he was growing it um, or he had to grow it. Mine actually is, <laughs> I've chosen this Kim. Um, but yeah, it is, <laughs> it is sort of Dan Evans, similar level of, um, it, it would definitely, it would definitely raise an eyebrow, I think. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just kind of going back to kind of that point on, you know, hoping to have like an annual event like this. I think it's absolutely spot on because, you know, I think one of the criticisms of, you know, the LTA in British tennis is, you know, where is the, you know, where is, where is the depth in the British game beyond, 
Andy Murray. And they almost kind of need an event like this to kind of be like, hey, there is, you know, there is strength in depth there. There is strength in depth in there in the singles, you know, in the doubles. And, you know, this event where, you know, they can put it on across a whole week, you know, have lots of matches on, you know, two courts. It really is a, a really good kind of showcase of, you know, hey, we, you know, there's a lot of um, exciting talent um, that's that's in British tennis at the moment. It's not all about, you know, Andy Murray. And it really kind of just showcase that sort of, you know, looking, you know, looking at the future. And, uh, you know, for me, you know, I think we've all kind of been talking about, you know, Jodie Burridge uh, over the last couple of weeks, who's been kind of racking up the wins post lockdown, coming out the traps really quickly. But, you know, this week, I think for me, yeah, seeing Emma Raducanu on a court has been, uh, you know, a revelation, been really interesting to see how, you know, she's, you know, she's been progressing and, you know, she does look a, a very good prospect, uh, you know, for the, the WTA tour in the future. Yeah, exactly. Because I, you know, I personally hadn't seen an awful lot of her play, you know, beforehand. So it's been a good opportunity to kind of get to to see her in action. Um, and obviously, you know, we've we've got those up and coming players, but also the more experienced players that we're much more familiar with, like Joe Conta. Um, you know, she had that. Joe Conta had that um, well classic match with Katie Balter, I think, in her second match, which she she almost mm. lost that really easily. And I think things wouldn't have been looking good for Joe, would they? Kind of heading into, you know real tennis well not real tennis but you know <laughs> the tour actually starting up again um but she pulled that one back and won it in a match tiebreak in the end but she had a bit of an abysmal first set um and she's pulled out of palermo um as a result so i'm assuming she's going off to the us open but you know remains to be seen um but yeah just a note actually on on joe conta she has parted ways with her coach um quite amicably i think i think he just didn't want to travel um, particularly as as much as you know she needs him to. So Dmitry Zavialov is out and Thomas Hogstead is in, who I guess is most famous for having coached Sharapova previously. So what, what do you make of that, Joel? Do you think do you think this is gonna help Joe? I mean it's probably you know, she probably wasn't planning to change, but it's you know, I, I think he's obviously a high quality coach, so I hope hopefully this will be a good move. Yeah, it's a definitely one that uh, raised eyebrows. I wasn't aware that you know such a you know a you know a change was coming, but um, you know I think you know this is a situation where we're going to have we're almost in you know we have to expect the unexpected. Um, you know, I was, I was we were talking kind of pre-recording about Chong Wong who had to had to let go her coach because she couldn't afford to to keep to keep uh, to keep him on, and you know it's almost kind of throwing up these kind of new situations. But I'm certainly very interested to see how that partnership does develop because I think with Conta, you know, she's had a very she had a very successful period with with Zavilov and you know she's gonna to want to hope uh, she can continue that. And you know, it was a bit worrying, I think, you know, watching her first kind of two matches, those first three sets in particular, it was a bit kind of worrying. It was a bit kind of, you know, there was definitely rust there. But I think, you know, she kind of grew into it you know, as the week kind of progressed and, you know, has got back, I think, to, you know, I certainly think the level she would want to get to. And I know she kind of pulled out of Palermo, but um, it'll be interesting. And I hope she can kind of get back to, you know, ready to kind of kick things off and push, you know, to get back into the, the top 10, you know, once she does make it out to um, to Cincinnati. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've certainly seen a lot of tennis in the last uh, seven days. There have been, what, 60 matches in total. And I mm. guess the way it's, you know, scored, it's like the first team to 60 points. Like they finished on 45 each uh, overnight. So it was all finely poised for today. And obviously it's come down to the wire. And I guess in terms of the the scoring and the way they're doing it, it's quite similar to world team tennis, um, which actually moving on to that has been 
has been going on. Um, it's the kind of final of that today as well. Chicago Smash versus New York Empire. Um, so that's uh, going on. They probably <laughs> kicked off a couple of hours ago. Um, it just sounds so kind of, I don't know. It's it's all it's so like baseball. It's so American, like smash and fire. Um, but yeah, it's it that's that's been going on. Bethany Matic Sands has been named the female MVP. Uh, Taylor Fritz won the male one. Um, so you know, it's been some really good performances out there. Uh, Jessica Bagula is doing quite well. She's she's gone kind of uh, on a six match win streak. I'm thinking she might be a hot one to watch for the US Open. Um, but yeah, we've, we've got the likes of Kim Kleisters playing, obviously, for New York in the final today. Uh, and Neil Skupski, British, uh, representation as well. Yeah, it's, I think the last kind of few weeks, certainly team competitions have, have been in vogue and they've, they feel like they've been successes, not only on the court, but in terms of kind of off the court and testing and having a bubble in place. And it shows, I think, that with these team events that it has been manageable and successful. I know there was a, you know, there was a, there was one issue around kind of Danielle Collins with the, the world mm. team tennis. But apart from that, it feels like that um, along with um, the, you know, the battle of the Brits, it's been handled, you know, very, very well. It does obviously raise the question is once, you know, events do scale up, um how you know does that make it uh, you know harder to you know contain and, and manage but certainly i think you know these events have been they've been successful and they've also been competitive as well and i thought it was interesting just kind of going back to battle of brits um i don't know if you if you saw this kim but um the match between the first match between evans and, and edmund did end on a bit of a Bit of bit of a tetchy hand like virtual sorry, bit of a tetchy handshake, new normal handshake where <laughs> Edmund just kind of you know, not lightly kind of tapped it rather to his racket. It was a bit more of a, a forceful upswing, I'd say. And um Evans wasn't particularly happy about it. And I think he kind of said to Edmund kind of, you know, what like equivalent to like watch yourself, watch yourself. And um it, it, it was kind of good for me. I think it was interesting because I think, you know, we've spoken about the, you know, this sort of melting pot and this rivalry, I guess, between Evans, Edmund and Norrie as well. And it is really kind of, I think, spurring them all on. And it's really fascinating to see. And um, it just shows you, I think, with these events, they are being taken seriously. There is a, a competitive element to it. And I think what helps bring that in is that sort of that team mentality and even if it you know feels like you know an exhibition from a pan fan point of view when you're playing for your team you don't want to let them down and I think that's I think that's what makes these events so successful is that it's that feeling of you don't want to let down your teammates so you're gonna you're gonna give it your all even if you know there's no ranking points on the line yeah exactly and I was just thinking I I think um you know Nick Kyrgios would be great at these sorts of things because I I know to see you know when it was um at the ATP Cup at the start of the year, he was, you know, so much more calmer and kind of going for it. And when he was like playing for something other than himself. Um, and I think it does bring out the best of certain players when they, when it is a team kind of event. And I guess maybe the pressure's slightly off in a different way, or it's, it's a different kind of sensational feeling. Um, and I guess as well, you know, when it's not just one match, you've got like, you know, you're going to be playing again, like the next day, it's sort of, you can, you've got the chance to rectify anything that you haven't, that hasn't gone quite so well the first day. But um, 
Yeah, so I think it's good to have a, you know a mix of different types of competitions because it keeps you on your toes, doesn't it, and provides a bit of variety. Talking of variety, Joel, um, let's talk about the Ultimate Tennis Showdown because we've also had that going on uh, over last weekend and this weekend. So they've done a second version, a sequel already. Uh, last weekend it was the men, uh, but this weekend we've had a, a female version, which is great because obviously you know we need to include uh, women in this as well. Um, but they've kind of almost gone for a bit of a cop-out because there's only four players involved. So uh, it's only three matches in total, which is better than nothing. You know, it's a start. But um, they had Elise Cornet, uh, Pavlichenkova and Ons Yabor, but also a 13-year-old from the Czech Republic, uh, Brenda Fruvatova, um, who I don't think anyone has sort of ever heard of uh I, I assume she just trains at the Moratoglu Academy and that's why she's kind of involved but um yeah we've got a Cornet Pavlachenko final um which is going on this evening but um they also made a few other moves I don't know if you if you saw there's some changes to the kind of second edition so they've got some new cards Joel that they can play Ooh. Uh, oh, I love, love, so, love new cards. <laughs> new playing cards. So one uh, forces the opponent to serve and volley. Uh, and the other new card means that the next two points will be worth double if you play your card. So they're kind of trying to jazz it up again. You know, some people say it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit game showy, maybe using these cards. But the whole point is that it's something different. So, um, you know, and they've now also got music playing at the change of ends. So a bit more atmosphere. Um, some French DJ called Bob Sinclair, who I'm, I don't know much about music, but I <laughs> don't know if he's that well known, but there we go. So yeah, they're trying to like, you know, enhance it each time, which is great. Um, I don't suppose we're going to be seeing another rendition of it. Um, maybe that soon because obviously the US Open is hopefully going to take place, um, and the French Open, but obviously they're trying to adapt it and, and go forth with, uh, with the event, um, you know, kind of going forward. So, thirteen-year-old youngster playing—that's that's interesting. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm assuming she's going to hopefully be some sort of tennis prod- prodigy uh, in the future. Uh, but yeah, interesting to see. I mean, it, I mean, it's just like it just kind of emphasizes on it at the moment. Um, you know, post lockdown, we're almost kind of in like the wild west um of tennis exhibitions and anything goes, whether that's in the rules or in the players as well, where we, we can have these sorts of you know crazy matchups and um yeah it's 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 very interesting but let's move on because we do need to talk about the US Open Kim and the fact that you know there is all of course that debate on will it or won't it happen but you know this week you know the the news has been kind of focused on you know players and who is going to play it and who's not going to play it and this week we've had our kind of first two probably big 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 names uh come out and say they're not playing the US Open. And, you know, that started earlier in this week with uh, women's world number one, Ash Barty, who has decided to not play in New York. She's not playing the US Open. She's not going to be playing Cincinnati. Uh, she just doesn't feel comfortable about traveling during the, you know, the coronavirus pandemic. And, um, you know, she's still, I think, considering you know, whether she's going to play in Europe. But obviously, that's a big blow to the competition, isn't it? It is, yeah. It is not a big surprise, to be honest. Uh, obviously, she's based in Australia, and um, I feel like a lot of the Australian players are being quite sensible about everything. And it, it, I've, you know, the Australian government, you know, is taking things a lot more seriously than other governments, it seems as well. So, um, and you know, Barty's a very um, considerate person. You know, she said that she doesn't 
feel right to go and put kind of herself at risk and her team at risk. And I completely understand that decision. I think if I was in her shoes, I'd probably be making that as well. Um, but, you know, it's it's a blow to the tournament, obviously, she's world number one. Um, and it's interesting to see how many other big name dropouts we might be getting over the next few weeks. Um, but I think I think she's she's pretty chill about it all. I don't think she's sort of going to think, oh, you know, I'm massively missing out. And, you know, I feel like she's kind of looking at the bigger picture here and putting her priorities in order. Um, obviously, we've also had Kyrgios uh, announce that he's not playing as well more recently. Um, so, again, another Australian player. Uh, we'll get on to hear him in a bit later as well uh, with regards to some of the other things that he's he's kind of said lately. Um, but, yeah, I feel like Australian players based in Australia, maybe they're, you know, the ones that are obviously not as likely to go. Um, whereas, I don't know, any Aussies based in the US or Europe may be more likely to go. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because... You know, a lot of players have expressed concerns. You know, we know that I don't think Rafa's going to play. You know, he hasn't been practicing on hardcore. He's been exclusively practicing on clay, we believe. So I feel like he's just kind of maybe biding his time before there's like an official statement. We've seen this week, it, this is the first sort of real stake in the ground from, you know, some of the top players in terms of, you know, the battle lines are being drawn about whether you're going to play, you know, the US Open or whether you're not going to play it. And, you know, it's interesting that I think, you know, players who are in countries where, you know, the the you know pandemic is only getting worse and worse. I mean, you know, we already know sort of in Aus- in Australia, you know, Melbourne is in a is this is currently going through a you know local lockdown. Um, you know, these players are, are coming out first. And, you know, we we talk about Nick Kyrgios and, you know, some of the antics that he's kind of pulled over the years on the tour, but you know, the statement he's come out with and kind of being like you know, almost kind of woke to the situation. He's more aware of it. And he kind of feels like, you know, now is not the right time to be playing tennis. And, you know, I think it's kind of, you know, it was expected for it from for this sort of thing to come from him, given the sort of, you know, um, outings of players who've not really followed protocols on, on social media over the last, you know, several weeks. But, um, you know, I think it, it's just very interesting. And I was kind of reading a quote around this idea that, um you know, sport is the reward for a functioning society. And I thought that was a really kind of interesting, you know, point to make in the fact that, you know, I think for a lot of people, you know, sport, sport should only exist as like almost kind of the end product once, you know, society has got, you know, has got it right. And, you know, I think for players, obviously, like Kyrgios and Barty, society isn't right at the moment, because we've, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And only once it has been put right, or feels kind of safe, and comfortable to return, only then can sport and tennis can return. And I feel like that's where Kyrgios and, and Barty is kind of, um, you know, feelings kind of lie at the moment. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think, you know, from a like moral perspective, that that is is correct. You know, priorities is, you know, life and death. Sport is kind of like a bonus that you can have should everything be, you know, well enough in, in a society. But I am also aware that obviously Barty and Kyrgios and other top players, like they are coming from a position of privilege where they don't sort of, they're not desperate for the money or the prize winnings of playing like a, a tournament. So obviously a lot of the lower ranked players um maybe thinking oh you know i do have concerns but i really really need the money so i'm going to have to put that above 
you know, other considerations. So it's kind of like balancing, you know, it's like a fine line to balance, isn't it? I can, I can see both, both sides of things. Um, I think John Millman has come out and said like he, he could do with the money. So he's going to, he's going to play. And obviously in an ideal world, you know, money wouldn't come above everything, but, um, it depends on, you know, your own personal situation, doesn't it? And, and what support there might be if, if you didn't go ahead and play it. Um, but it's it's going to be interesting to see who else follows suit. Yeah, because I I think this could, in a weird way, put pressure on the US Open not happening. I feel like you know fans at the moment are pretty split on you know whether it should happen or it shouldn't. But I feel that you know if other players, other top players, kind of follow suit and kind of follow you know Barty and Kyrgios's lead, and you know the US Open field is you know potentially decimated you know the the organizers might have to look at the you know you know their player field and be like you know does this match up to a grand slam quality is the integrity of the event so fundamentally affected that you know we shouldn't be we shouldn't be putting it on um and i think that might be a dynamic that potentially could come into play you know if we hear about more players um you know pulling out of uh, the us open yeah, I think um, as well, like they do need to make sure that the rules and the restrictions for players and, and their entourages are, you know, completely clear and, and followed and obeyed. Uh, and I know Andy has come out and said that there should be punishments, you know, for people who are not abiding by them. And inevitably, I'm sure there will be some who will go outside of the bubble and think they can maybe get away with it or they'll come up with some excuse, maybe. I don't know. Um, and I know the ATP have also kind of, change their their rules slightly that they've put in something that says you know if you are continuously like obviously breaking the health and safety measures that we've put into place there will be a fine um but obviously that's the atp so whether that wouldn't apply to the us open i assume if it's an Mm. as it's an itf event um the us open are asking players to sign like legal waiver forms um so i i guess is that the us open organization trying to get out of any responsibility you know should anything should a player test positive and be seriously ill um i don't know that's a you know a legal kind of standpoint with that i guess going back to that murray uh, andy murray point is around sort of you know reprimands and you know if 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 if, if you know the the event obviously is and big scale up from the you know the team events going on at the moment and you know it's it feels inevitable that you're going to get players who who do potentially break the rules you know what what um you know what uh infractions do you do you put on them i think is another question that you know, that could be raised because you know you don't want to be in a situation where someone you know gets to men's semi-finals or you know whatever the semi-finals of an event and you know has been disqualified because you know they you know went outside of the the bubble so you know i think there is there's certainly more kind of things i think to think about that need to be kind of fleshed out um and it will be interesting to see yeah who who kind of comes out with um future statements on whether on whether they they play or not and it it does feel as you said it feels like the only players who can do that are are the top players i don't think we're going to see these sorts of statements from you know people ranked 30 to 50 i think the people who can afford to do this you know the people in the top 10 top 20 are the ones who are going to be able to kind of make make these sorts of statements exactly you know it's it's going to be an individual decision at the end of the day for a lot of people and you know coming from different backgrounds and you know 
what they value the most, you know, in terms of health and money and everything. And it's a lot to think about. And no wonder they're going to, you know, give it a few weeks before making their decision. You sort of wait until the last possible um, moment you can actually kind of decide really. And obviously Grigor Dimitrov as well is another player who has expressed concerns about whether he's going to compete because, you know, he he's tested positive for COVID after playing at the Adria Tour. Um, he has kind of come out recently and said about his experience of the virus that he and it was very tired. He wasn't breathing well. He didn't have smell or taste. And, you know, he's still struggling. Um, you know, now he's come back sort of playing again. You know, he played the UTS last week. Um, he's lost some weight. And he's he said that mentally it was very challenging because he isolated, you know, on his own. So, like, it's, I think it's good that he's come out and, and showed that, you know, okay, you might be an elite, young, you know, sports person, but you can still have a nasty time with this virus. And, you know, I don't know how soon it'll be before he kind of feels ready to compete at a Grand Slam level. So he's he's also a bit of a doubt uh, for the US Open. And um, I think, you know, I, I just think, you know, if you think back to the Adria Tour now, you just think, oh, gosh, <laughs> what were they? What was going on with that, really? Because I think it's all been a big learning curve and a lesson, you know, like we said at the time. And I think almost like like you said, it's it's good that it happened in a way because there might have been a danger that going into the US Open, a lot more people would have been a bit more ambivalent and like flamboyant with the rules. And hopefully people will be taking it with the utmost you know, seriousness now. Okay, we are back for the next new game of the passing shot. We uh, we normally do, what was it, Kim? We normally do our um, mysterious player, but we've now introduced a new game. I still don't have a name for it, Kim. I'm not going to lie. Um, listeners, let us know again, what should, the, this, what should this new game be called? Because I, I have no idea at the moment, but uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of continue with it anyway. Uh, last week, it was my sort of my question to Kim and this time Kim you have got a category for me haven't you I do maybe we should call it like countdown to 10 or something I don't know um (laughs) but it's yeah it's going to be Olympics theme this week Joel because last week we did our like throwback to the Olympics if anyone hasn't listened to our last episode uh we did kind of most dramatic Olympic moments from the last 20 years so do have a listen to that um but if you know your Olympic tennis knowledge is needs a bit of a you know refresh then this might help you um so joel i want you to name as many as possible out of the 10 singles medalists from the past two olympics so okay there were 12 medalists in total right obviously Mm -hmm. you've got female male three medals each um paralympics but there are 10 unique singles medalists so 10 different singles medalists from the london and rio olympics so how many mm-hmm. of those do you reckon you're going to be able to get right? Oh, that is a very, very good question. I, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not that confident. Uh, I'm thinking, I don't, mm, I even think five is going to be a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to go, I'm going to be very pessimistic and go with, I think I could do, uh, I'm going to say four, four out of ten. Four, um, okay. Going <laughs> less four. than half, okay. Yeah, right, right. You <laughs> I know are. that's really um, terrible, and it should be more because we, as see. you said, we did an Olympics, we did an Olympics podcast last week, so I should be clued exactly. up on this stuff. But um, just be glad oh, I'm not yeah. asking you about the mixed doubles medalists. <laughs> you know that would be quite challenging. Um, it would be here all night, I think, if you had to guess that. <laughs> so hit me. What's your first? What's your first um, one? Well, 
of course, Andy Murray. Uh, Andy Murray won. <laughs> Andy Murray won. Uh, yep. Uh, in 20, uh, 2016. Um, Monica Pui, I know, yeah. is definitely there. Uh, yeah. I'm going to say Del Potro got us. I think Del Potro got us. Has got. No, I think, yeah, I think Del Potro got a silver in uh, 2016. Yeah. And a bronze correct. maybe in 2012. But uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, oh, oh, um, I know Pui lost to, I think, Angelique Kerber in the final, in the well, final. Well, she beat her. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pui beat Kerber, Kerber. silver medal. Yes, correct. So you got your four. Well done. You got four. Oh, that's my four. Okay, right. Um, I okay, think you underestimated was... yourself. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think if there are a few more, I'm, I'm more 50-50 on, I'm saying... Um, I think, um, oh, I want to say Azarenka, I want to say Kvitova, and, um, I'm going to say Grigor Dimitrov and, oh, and Nishikuri. That's, that's probably the ones I'm most confident, but also semi not confident with. Okay. Um, well, I can yeah. tell you that Azarenka is correct. She got a bronze in Whoa. London. Uh, and Kvitova is correct. She got a bronze in Rio. Uh, oh, Nishikori, okay. Yeah, Nishikori is correct. She got bronze in Rio. Oh, my God. But, oh, uh, Grigor Dimitrov is is not correct, I'm, I'm oh, okay. sad to say. Oh, I underestimated myself. Yeah, there. you've done a lot better. Uh, I think you <laughs> have you got any more guesses for me? Uh, no. As you know, I was thinking about Azarenka a lot because I know she won that that gold with Max Max Bernier because they beat um, Murray and Robson. I just didn't know she had won the singles in a singles battle, but I felt um, I took a punt anyway, but yeah, who else? (laughs) off the list? You'll be kicking yourself, Joel, because Roger Federer. Oh oh God. Silver, you know, lost to Andy. Oh Oh, my God. (laughs) How did I not? And um, we talked about this in the last podcast. Um, for Pete's sake, Serena Williams and Maria Sharapova in the women's final from London, oh. taking broad, uh, gold and silver, and then you got everything, yes. everything else. So not bad. You got seven out of ten, oh. but you 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 got your prediction oh. wrong for how many you were going to get. I feel like I could. <laughs> I feel like I should have. I got the easy. I did. I completely missed the easy ones and got the. I think I always got the harder ones right, but. Oh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway that, that you did you did well um listeners let us know how you did you know were you kind of on it with your did you get 10 straight away or were you just struggling <laughs> um but yeah let us know and um we're gonna also do a bit of some listener questions now joel from our passing shot mailbag we've had some lovely listeners getting in touch uh, i think the first one is very interesting uh, at harris dominic asked do you think it would be a good idea to hold the atp finals and wta finals at the o2 in london what do you think joel yeah because we spoke about this on our, our last catch-up on the fact that uh the wta finals i think would have been in shenzhen but china basically put a kibosh on all sporting events for the rest of the year so wta finals at the moment is completely up in the air and you you would you would wager that if it does go ahead it would obviously have to move where would they move it to? Would I like to see it at the O2? Of course I would. Um, you know, I, I'd love to see, you know, if this is the O2 arena's kind of swan song 
um then uh, you know let's go out with a bang and have you know both the the men and women there together i my only obviously concern with that would be does that add an additional layer you know of complexity um to you know hosting and holding the event um or does it simplify things i'm i think you know there's probably arguments on on either side um but yeah, I, I think in principle, I'd love to see love to see that happen. And um, you know, I think it would make I think it would create a, a greater you know even if kind of the fans aren't able to be there, I think it would create a sort of greater significance. You know, the you know we've kind of spoken about over the last few months, you know, this kind of increased collaboration, you know, between all the governing bodies and particularly the ATP and the WTA. Um, you know, governing bodies and, and organizations. And I think this would almost kind of be the, you know, the, the, the icing on the cake in terms of, you know, if you were able to kind of bring them together, it will kind of, I think, really kind of show that sort of solidarity and that togetherness that, you know, at this time, I think, you know, is very important in, and is very much needed, um, you know, in the tennis world. Yeah, I think um, that's completely true. I, when I first read this question, I, I, I thought, um, he meant, you know, them playing at the same time together. Um, and I thought, oh, that's great. Like, why not just host both finals, like, on the same week at the same venue? And, you know, um, it's kind of like a mixed event. There wouldn't be any, like, mixed doubles. But, you know, it'd be great to have them all together. Um, I don't think capacity-wise that's always possible. Um, but certainly they could do it, like, one after the other. I think, you know, if Shenzhen can't host it, it would make sense. And, you know, for it to go to a venue that's already kind of used to basically putting the same tournament on. Um, it depends though on London, doesn't it? If if the rates there are mm. suitable enough, and whoever maybe pays the most money for it as well, so um, it's, it could go elsewhere. Um, we we just don't know. It's a long way off, <laughs> but I'd love to see it at the OT. <laughs> I mean, that's a good point you raised because I, you know, you'd sense that other venues are probably, you know, looking at this almost kind of as an opportunity. Um, and you know, I'm sure the well, you'd probably think that the WTA has maybe had you know, bidders from other countries where maybe kind of coronavirus isn't, you know, hasn't impacted them as much about, oh, hey, we see the, the WTA finals can't be held in China. Would you be interested in, in hosting them here? But, um, yeah, I think it's certainly, um, you'd, you'd, th- you'd feel like the O2 would be a, a good shout in terms of, you know, hosting a, a safe, um, a safe and secure event. And uh, just quickly before we move on, uh, we also had at Alex Mann, if I'm saying that correct, I, you know, apologies if I'm not. And um, he said, do you think competitions such as Battle of the Brits helps younger British players? Joel, I think we kind of have touched on this already before, but what's your mm. Yeah, I think it's I think it's great for the for them to be in that environment with lots of different sorts of players um you know you've got players who are you know been there done that and have kind of gone through the ranks that they can kind of pull on you know experience from and you've just got you know you just have kind of players around who are almost kind of in that you know veteran status that you know they've seen everything and kind of as i said kind of they can kind of pass on that um you know that information and i think also having you know, their coaches around. And, you know, I know that Anki Offervong and Leon Smith have been at Roehampton this weekend as well. So, you know, I think it's certainly very, um, you know, I think it's very advantageous to be in that environment. Um, and no doubt it's going to, you know, help them kind of learn and understand, uh, you know, what it takes to, you know, to be really competitive and, and make a breakthrough. Um, I think the only kind of question for me would be, it, you know, it are, have there been sort of situations where, you know, the young players come up against, you know, the the top players and they get, you know, beaten off the park and it almost kind of 
demoralizes them. Um, and I don't think we've had too many of those sort of situations, you know, at the, the Battle of the Brits. But that was, I think, kind of maybe actually one of my kind of um, concerns going into it was, you know, as much as this was going to be for me, you know, showcasing, you know, the best of the, you know, the up and coming British players, I was a bit like, oh, is this, is this got like bagels and breadsticks kind of <laughs> almost kind of written all over it? Exactly. I think it's, I think, you know, it's a great event and maybe they um, could expand it somewhat to include even, in, you know, even more, you know, they could do a junior version mm. or have a sort of room mm. for, for yeah. more younger players, um, like a kind of young and old playing together. I don't know, but I think, you know, these sorts of things. I do hope that there there is, you know, we see the value of them so that, you know, post this kind of current situation, there's some, there's definitely like room for more of them in, in the calendar. Um, so thank you listeners for those questions. Um, do keep them coming. Um, we love to, you know, hear your thoughts and your queries. So do get in touch with us on social media or drop us an email and, uh, yeah, let us know. So Joel, um, moving on, we will just kind of, round up a few things before we finish for today palermo so wga is back up and running yeah just about <laughs> uh we've had kind of two main things from palermo this weekend uh we had a player test positive uh who had to withdraw from the tournament um the organizers kind of were keeping her identity secret um but we did have Victoria Tomova uh, pulling out due to illness. So the eagle-eyed amongst us would put two and two together and assume that it's her that's tested positive. But um, yeah, not ideal, I guess, to start off with with a with a positive test. But obviously, it's good that they are testing, of course, and that they've uh, removed her from from the tournament. Yeah, it's it was an interesting one because I think it literally happened like thirty five minutes before. Uh, you know, play was due to start in qualifying. So it's, you know, for the tournament organizer, it's not the, you know, it's not the situ, you know, it's not the situation that you want, you want to arise. Um, yeah, I think the, I think the main kind of thing for me is what it brings up is this kind of, all the kind of talk around, um, you know, waivers and exemptions. And, you know, if it was Tomova, who I think is, you know, she's Bulgarian and had gone from, Bulgaria to Italy, I think on a, you know, on a, on a waiver, you know, does it make those sorts of um, things and those situations harder to, harder to justify, um, you know, when, you know, if, if players are kind of doing all they can, but even so they, you know, they, they turn up to the event and, and test positive, does it make things like waivers, um, you know, harder to, you know, harder to give out, uh, you know, by, you know, by the governments because, you know, they're bringing, you, could you argue they're they're bringing in players who um who are uh, who might spread coronavirus? Yeah, I'm assuming that she brought it in from Bulgaria rather than catching it like as soon as she got to Italy. Um, it does make you think. Oh, yeah, you know, should there be an exemption, yeah, justification for professional sports people? But you know, I think the tournaments sound like they're putting you know every possible measure in place. Like they, the players are put into an official tournament car and are made to wear um like a ppe kind of face covering and then when they get to the hotel they have to stay in their room that they get tested and they have to stay in their room until the test comes back negative um apparently though the hotel like there are still tourists in that hotel so i'm not sure how much the players can stay in their own bubble because they're going to be mixing somewhat with people who have come in from god knows where um, but I think that the tournament that they couldn't afford to like, you know, buy all the rooms out of that hotel, basically. So it's, 
you know, there's lots of ins and outs and like nitty gritty things to kind of to kind of get into with this. Um, but you know, the other big thing is that obviously Simona Hallett pulled out because she, you know, said that um, she didn't want to have to to quarantine upon their arrival upon her arrival. But obviously, there there is a, a waiver for professional sports people. So I think the tournament organisers were a bit like, "Did you not realise this? You know, you don't you don't have to." to quarantine but um whether there was miscommunication or how it was just like i I don't want to risk it and i don't want to you know because she's sort of saying that romania is is not not great in terms of the rates um and air travel is a worry you know i completely understand her concerns yeah i think the the thing with the halif issue is that like there are you know i think one of the reasons um you know she didn't want to uh, play in, in in Palermo because you know cases in in Russia are still qu- sorry in Russia cases in Romania are still <laughs> quite bad. Um, but having said that, if you look at the main draw, you've got three Romanian players in there. You've got uh, Sestea, uh, Begu, uh, and uh, Tig. And it, I think it's interesting because I think you know players like Hallet, players like Barty, they are able to be in a position where they can make this you know decision for themselves but it feels like you know the lower ranked players they don't they don't get a say in this they you know they have to you know yes the situation might be bad in my own country but i'm just going to have to you know i'm i'm going to have to take the check in the, in the main draw because you know i need you know i need the money to you know pay my team and you know earn a living again so i think it's a very it's an interesting one in that um you know Halep obviously kind of is aware of the situation but you know, pro- other, you know, other players probably are as well, but they're not going to be able to make the, the same decision. Exactly, exactly. And just looking at, at the draw, uh, just looking at, at Palermo, obviously, you know, there are some, you know, some some good names in there. We've got, you know, uh, Elise Mertens, Petra Martic, uh, Donna Vekic. So I'm excited to, to see what's going to happen. Von Drusseva, yeah. So there's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of... Um, you know, interesting players and, you know, it, it's, I'm glad that things are starting up again. And I just think there's probably going to be incidences of, you know, lots of positive tests over the course of the next year with any kind of event. Um, and, you know, we've got Cincinnati as well, um, due to start on the 22nd of August. Uh, they've announced wild cards for some players. Uh, Kleisters, Osaka, Venus Williams, Sloane Stevens. Uh, I'm assuming some of them just forgot to enter. <laughs> Basically, if you had entered the U- uh, sorry, if you had won the U.S. Open, I think you were you got wild card. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was trying to I was trying to figure this out why Sloane Stevens and Osaka uh, needed wild cards for the event. Um, I don't know. Um, I was trying to I was trying to find it online actually. Listeners, let us know. I, 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 one of my friends suggested maybe they weren't interested in playing when Cincinnati um, was, uh, you know, in oh, another of the part Olympics. Of- I suppose it would have been the oh, Olympics, could, wasn't it? Oh, maybe, Originally, yeah. They would have not had it on their schedule, maybe, because of that. But, you know, because the Olympics hasn't happened, you know, it's kind of just thrown everything off into, I don't know, it's gone ski-whiff. But interestingly as well, like, Rafa is on the entry list. But I'm assuming that's just because he was planning to play it before all this happened. Because judging from the fact that he's been practicing on clay, I, I think it's unlikely. But, you know, it remains to be seen. I'm playing golf. <laughs> yeah, he's playing golf in, in Mallorca instead, which I think sounds rather nice. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and interestingly, prize money, um, 
between the two, uh, you know, tours in, in Cincinnati, the ratio between what the winner gets and like early round losers, uh, it's a lot different between the ATP and WTA. So ATP, um, the, the champion doesn't get as much, but the early round losers essentially get three times more than the equivalent in the WTA. So like the, the difference between the champion and like first round is, is, it's like three times more in the WTA than the ATP, which I think is a bit bizarre. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it's definitely surprising because you think at the moment, you know, the the tours will want to support as many people as possible. Therefore, mm. that would equate to potentially bolstering, um, you know, the prize money at the, you know, at the. The, the in the early rounds more like i think that you know the atp are doing whereas you know the wta doing so you know for example round of 64 uh you know first round proper atp tour twenty five thousand dollars um wta tour nine thousand dollars so it's almost um it's even it's more than half less so it's very surprising to see that sort of imbalance there but um you know maybe we maybe we'll hear more we'll hear more about that but um yeah i think kim just kind of quickly just going back to the um to the entry list and you look at some of the players who are not playing stan vavrinka fognini songa monfis uh svitolina andreescu uh halep there's some big names not on that you know that entry list and you know i think you know we're gonna have to take this with a pinch of salt but this is the first time we might we have an indication on who might not be at the US Open and you know these are players I'm I'm almost kind of like <laughs> looking at their Twitter accounts waiting for some potentially waiting for some sort of you know social media announcement of them so sort of announcing that hey I'm going to be staying in in Europe and focusing on the the clay season yeah because the Cincinnati event is happening at you know the US Open you'd think that players who maybe haven't entered the that you know they're not planning on playing uh, the US Open itself. So, but, you know, that might, may not necessarily be the case. Um, so we, we will see what happens. Uh, but Joel, let's uh, let's touch as well on, uh, you know, obviously we've said that Nick Kyrgios is, uh, is not <laughs> going to to be there but uh <laughs> he's sort of become the voice of reason hasn't he like i you know i think we've discussed kiros's behavior on this podcast and i've always been a bit like mm, you know it's a bit out of order uh kind of a bit sick of it now but i have to say in recent times i have been pretty much agreeing with basically all that nick's been saying which is a bit of a turnaround for the books but he's had a bit of a go at borna Korich of late um had a bit of beef on twitter <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He does not share your opinion, Kim. I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> Nick Kyrgios, yeah, they've been having a bit of a a to and throw this week across uh, on on Twitter. I think Nick Kyrgios said to him, uh, "Is are your are your uh, is your head full of rocks or, or something something like that?" You have like rocks that. in and, your uh, head. <laughs> oh, you have rocks in your head. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's definitely been you know there's definitely been some there's been some edge there's obviously some edge there and I do just genuinely think there has been over lockdown it is quite interesting on the ATP side there has definitely been an added edge I think to uh between players and it's going to make for some it's going to make for some very tasty matchups I think kind of post lockdown when all you know all is said and done you know I'm already I'm already kind of looking at. Nick Kyrgios versus pretty much anyone who played in the, the Adria Cup, whether that's Zverev or uh, Chorich or team, um, you know, Evans and Edmund as well. I'm kind of interested to see how that goes. 
uh, but yeah, I mean, just kind of talking about Nick Kyrgios, it's 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 interesting because he he is kind of going. He's very kind of attacking and very much kind of um you know about i think you know certainly about kind of we can only play sport once everything is in place and you know he doesn't think that you know it's in it's in place at the moment and as you said it's almost like he's now become this sort of voice of reason a calming influence you know on the tour which is you know two words you'd never kind of really expect to use to describe uh, Nick Kyrgios. Maybe this will be like the making of him. And, you know, when he does take to the court again, he will channel this into some kind of positive energy <laughs> and, and he will never go back to his former ways and he will become, you know, the player that we all kind of envisage that he could be if he sort of sorted his his fun and games out. I don't know. I'm just, you know, thinking of things that can come out of this. But but yeah, I think um, he definitely has a point. And I have to say, I did laugh a bit when he responded to Borna Korich saying, but yes, a tad bored watching your boring ass tennis and personality bringing absolutely zero to the sport. I mean, that is just so cutting. Um, he really didn't leave anything, uh, you know, on the line there. He just went for it. But uh <laughs> He will be absolutely brutal. And, you know, he is very kind of, you know, he's very vocal. I think he's, you know, he's been aware that he has a voice and he he has a voice and he's putting it to, I think, to good use now in terms of kind of highlighting the sort of, you know, issues, um, you know, that we're facing and that tennis players are facing. And, you know, some people are going to agree with it. Some people aren't. And um, it, it's, I think it's kind of good because it's it just kind of keeps the conversation. It keeps the conversation going. It keeps the conversation interesting and it keeps the conversation entertaining. It does. I'm I'm looking forward already to seeing what he's going to tweet, you know, when the US Open is up and running. Any player that you know makes the slightest no. infraction, <laughs> yeah. Nick's going to be on it. You're like the police, <laughs> the ATP police. <laughs> you can see it now. He's just going to be like what he's like. He can't, he's not going to play it. He's going to be watching it. He's going to be one of the quick keyboard warriors uh, from yeah. his, you know, his home in Australia, just kind of, you know, keeping up to date and just yeah, tweeting his, his commentary. Actually, I'd love, you know, if he's not going to be playing it, let's I'd love to see him as a broadcaster on commentary. Someone's got to make that happen, surely. Oh yeah, that would be quite nifty. But um, but yeah, let's let's see if that materialises. Uh, well, let's see if the US Open materialises. But um, yeah, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, latest episode, this latest catch up uh, from the passing shot. Remember, you can subscribe uh, to us um, on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify. We're also on Overcast, Castbox, Stitcher. Um, if you have uh, enjoyed listening to us, remember you can tell your friends, any tennis friends you have that you are in the market for a tennis podcast, tell them about us. Um, and if you have been listening to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, make sure to leave us a rating and a comment. You can follow us on social media as well, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Passing Shot Pod. And also feel free to email the show at PassingShotPod at gmail.com. We always love to hear from you. And if you've got any burning questions for us, please do let us know for our mailbag feature. Yes, and uh, we'll of course be back next week with another episode of The Passing Shot. Not really sure what we're going to do yet, but uh, we'll keep you posted on our social media. And I hope you are looking forward to seeing tennis back on the tour. But we'll be back uh, next week and I hope you can catch us again shortly. So Joel, I've been decluttering this weekend and I think I found some razors that I could sell to you if you fancy shaving <laughs> off your Evans S moustache. How 
how dare you this is this mustache is going to be growing and i'm just gonna i think i'm just gonna do it out of out of spiting you um you're just doing a pre-november just... like we're still three months away and you're you're just gonna have it like some curly whiskey thing i don't know you'll be like one of those dogs those like old man dogs you you've got me basically yeah i'm, I'm not able to grow a mustache in one month so i'm giving myself a long a long run up to make sure that it is bushy come come november even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns